All right. Thanks, Christian. Just want to remind you, church, we are in our elder affirmation process. And so um, we're actually going to extend that. Um, We're going to extend that, give you a couple extra weeks. And so two weeks from today is your last opportunity to get us your affirmations um, uh, back to us. And so uh, you can either do that by email or you can print it out, hand it to one of the elders. Um, That would be wonderful. Thank you for doing that. And our title this morning is Hope for the Hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. I looked up the word hopeless on thesaurus, I can't say it, but I looked it up, thesaurus.com this week, and here is what it gave me. Desperate, forlorn, helpless, impossible, pointless, sad, tragic, useless. Bad, beyond recall, cynical, dejected, demoralized, despairing, despondent, disconsolate, discouraging, downhearted, fatal, gone, goner. Ill-fated, impracticable, in despair, incurable, irredeemable, irreparable, irreversible, irrevocable, lost, menacing, no win, past hope. Shot down, sinister, sunk, threatening, unachievable, unavailing, unfortunate, unmitigable, unmitigable, up the creek, vain, will be gone, worsening, and lastly, being a Miami Dolphins fan all of your life. So true. To be hopeless is to be left longing, waiting, hoping for something. Something has got to change, and it never does. That's to be hopeless. Things are not getting better. That's why we say hopeless. When we think of sports hopelessness, we're really dealing with the trivial, right? Like, that's just silly joking. Some of you have experienced real hopelessness. Significant hopelessness, health hopelessness, relational uh, waywardness, prodigal son, prodigal daughter, prodigal mom, dad. I love reading through the Bible and bumping up against those moments of hopelessness in the word, moments of darkness. There's that moment of hopelessness and then... God shows up in the dark days of slavery in Egypt. God, what? He, he, he births, he has a baby and he preserves the baby and that baby will, will raise up and one day become the deliverer for God's people. They stand at water's edge with the enemy behind them, uh, chasing them down with sword and, and what? God splits the sea in two in that moment of hopelessness. Joseph, Moses, Jericho, Gideon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, David, Samson, Elijah, Nehemiah, Jesus. Hope comes to the helpless in the dark days of utter, complete hopelessness. And that's the book of Samuel. That's why the gospel is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ because the good news comes to the hopelessness of our state as sinful men and women. Christ comes not because we've got everything that we need and we've got it all figured out and we're also hopeful. He comes because we're hopeless without him. Christ came to redeem the hopeless 
Christ came to redeem the, the helplessness of the hopeless found in our sin. Now remember, last week, Samuel has a context. And if you weren't here last week or you haven't had a chance to view last week, don't usually say this, but I really would want to encourage you, go back and listen, go back and watch, whichever. But it, there, there's so much context to our entire series that was given last week in that overview. So I just want to encourage you towards that. So Samuel, Samuel just doesn't fall out of the sky and into our Bibles and we turn the page from Ruth and now we're in 1 Samuel and it's completely separated from the rest of God's word. That's not the way the Bible works. Samuel's context is, well, it's the days of the judges. So there's a book about the judges, right? And so you have the judges and what we were sharing last week is the book of Judges ends with this. Last thing. Book of Judges has to say, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Close the book, end of story, right? Well, no, God's going to raise up another judge. That's going to be Samuel. And so that's what we come to when we come here to Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Samuel's going to come into a day of utter, complete hopelessness. So with that, let's pause and pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning because we need your help. (laughs) We are hopeless without your help. We ask that you would, by your spirit, speak to us as a church today through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I've got six points, so we've got a lot to cover. We're gonna actually preach all the way through chapter two, verse 11. So we've got a lot of ground. Let's get busy. Number one, a hopeless barren woman and a hopeless barren nation. Let's read verse one again and two. There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Hopeless. Samuel is a record of ever-expanding hopelessness. It starts with Hannah, but the circle of hopelessness will grow wider. We will soon be into our series and see the hopelessness of the spiritual leadership of the nation. We have Hopeless Hannah, but we also have hopeless priests. And from that, it grows wider. We have a hopeless nation, the nation of Israel. A hopeless woman, a hopeless leadership, a hopeless nation. Welcome to First and Second Samuel. That's where we're at. Things are bad here. Do you think things are bad in America, 2022 America? Come with me to the days of the judges where things are bad. It makes things like COVID exhaustion or political exasperation or cultural darkness seem like a play date in the park. It's so bad in these days that it appears that God's covenant is all but gone. 
How is that covenant promise thing that God made to Abraham back there in Genesis 12, how's that working out? How are the blessed people of God when we come to Samuel? In those days, when God, it seems, has forgotten his covenant people, Samuel shows up to show us that God indeed has not forgotten them. And actually, it shows us that they have forgotten God. And in that context, it tells us, verse one, very nondescriptly, there was a certain man. I love that. Married to this barren woman. She is a living parable of barren Israel. Not that Israel couldn't have children. They're having children. It's that they are spiritually barren. It is a barren land. We could say it like this. Israel is God's barren wife. So here we go. What, what, God, what does God need to do in the midst of all this barrenness? Well, he needs to find himself a power couple, right? Some significant people to usher in the move of God. Some, so, somebody who's established, somebody, some movers and shakers, a national name, a national ministry, EMI, Elkanah Ministries International, right? That's what, that's what God's gonna need here, right? To then reestablish his sovereign plan because that's how it works, right? All the text can say of Elkanah is there was a certain man. <laughs> Translated, Elkanah is nobody. He's a nobody from a long line of nobodies. Did you read the list of the son ofs? Any, anything there that's notable? A long line of nobodies from nowhere, notable. All it can say of, to, of him is he's a certain man. What does God need to move mightily? Well, we could say he needs barrenness. <laughs> because it's in the barrenness of unfaithful Israel that God will once again bring glorious fruitfulness, which will be and remains the very reason that him and not them and not us is worthy. So again, barren Hannah represents this barren Israel just as she is completely powerless to produce a child, she can do nothing to change that. So too, Israel is completely powerless and incapable of producing a godliness. Is there any hope for the people of God? Well, Hannah represents that something will come out of nothing. Life will come out of the barrenness. Hope will come to the hopelessly barren. And so here we are, two verses in to this really large study, and perhaps you're seeing the glory of your own story. You were once hopeless outside of Christ, but in the hopelessness, in the barrenness, he came to you and he breathed new life into you. Or maybe you are here this morning and you are in the helpless hopelessness. To you, I want to say thank you for being here. 
It's right that you would be here. Interesting thing that in our hopelessness, we often run from places of worship. It's right that you would be here because hope is found in Christ. Number two is a hopeless home life. Let's go back. We'll reread verses beginning there, verse three. Now this man, speaking of Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Okay, that that as a family life is an absolute train wreck. Hannah was most likely Elkanah's first wife. But being barren, he likely took Penina as his second wife so that he could have children. It does kind of remind us of Abraham and Sarah and the other woman, Hagar. We see this at different times in the, in the Old Testament. We might think that this was normal or part of God's plan. It, it wasn't. We, we know that. Because in the beginning, we have origins. We have how God created things to be. And how God created things to be in the origin of all things, God created the first marriage. Listen, you're married today. That wasn't your idea. Marriage is not man's idea. It's not, it's not for man to, to change marriage because it's, it's a God thing. It's God's idea. And it was God's idea from the beginning. And so marriage is between a man and a woman and they are to come together and be one flesh. It's not originally, it wasn't originated between a man and a man, a woman, a woman, a man and two women, a woman, a woman and two men. One man, one woman, one flesh. But this here in Samuel is a dysfunctional family if there ever was one. It's a hopeless family. Hopeless for Elkanah? <laughs> Buddy, what are you doing? <laughs> you have created, you have put yourself in quite a mess. How in the world is this family life gonna play out? He clearly makes it known who he favors and loves the most, right? So she, uh, Penina gives him children, but it makes it clear, but, but when there's this once a year worship family thing that goes on, he's going to give double portion to Hannah. And and it says, because he loved her. Let's see, how's this put? But to Hannah, verse five, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, which is to say, right? He didn't love the other woman. Uh... The favored one, the loved one, is the barren one. And because of this, Penina is going to turn the knife. Look, verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Both of these women are jealous for what the other one has. 
All right? Like Hannah is jealous for Penina's children. Penina is jealous for her husband's affection. They both are longing for what they don't have. How do you think Penina must have felt? Like we always emphasize and look at Hannah. But how's, how's the, the, this is a woman. What is she going through in her marriage, in her family life? How must have she have felt? She produces children, but is unable to win the affection of her husband. Certainly she would have been jealous for Elkanah's love and favor. Does she exist in his world beyond just bearing children for him? Hannah has to live in this hopeless family life. Did you hear Elkanah's attempts to comfort her? Like, wow, that's a train wreck. Like every guy in the building has done that. Like trying to comfort his wife. Hey, aren't I better than 10 sons? Not helpful. Not helpful. She doesn't want his handouts, his double favors. What is that even? Is that like a double plate of food? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, so, and then, and then, yeah, you got that comment. Am I not better than more than 10 sons? And she doesn't want his silly comparisons. She wants a child. That's what she wants. To have children in this day was to have a workforce. It sounds weird in our day, but in a day where you planted and you worked the, what you planted and then you ate it. Children were necessary. The survival of the family, survival of the nation was dependent on having children. It was even thought that if you were not with children, that you were being unfavored by God. So this is what they would do year in and year. It tells us year after year. They would go from their city and they would sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at, at Shiloh. It was this yearly trip. It's a family vacation. All right, family. We're packing the bags. Here we go. We're going to Shiloh. We're going to worship, right? And that's where the train wreck just blows up, right? It probably happened to some of you on the way to worship this morning, right? I remember times we would end up pulling into the parking lot and being like, wait, what? You don't have your shoes? No shoes today? No shoes for worship today. Okay. All right. Here we go. I wonder... Were there any comments when it says that Penina would provoke her? All we can do is kind of make some guesses. And so here are some of mine. Hey, Hannah, as we're packing up, right? Would you mind maybe holding one of my babies? Because my hands are full. And it looks like you got two free hands. Maybe you could help me. Lord, please help us feed all these mouths. I have so many children. Hopeless, barren Hannah, number one. Number two, hopeless home life. Number three, in the hopelessness, where do we turn? Look at verse nine. Actually, we'll go back to verse eight. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. He's gonna be a Nazarite. In the utter hopelessness, I find it amazing to read what Hannah does. She goes to the Lord in prayer. I'm sure she's been there many times before, but there she is again. And I ask us, where do we go in the dark days of hopelessness? Have you been there? Where do you go? Maybe you go to complaining. Maybe you go to anger. Maybe you go to bitterness. Maybe you go to turning away from God. Maybe spiteful. Maybe you go on pretending that everything's fine and okay. Maybe, maybe you go to judgment. I'm gonna judge others or you grow in your jealousy towards the paninas around you. Maybe you just despise the darkness and the hopelessness of this world. I've been asked before, how, how are you doing in the dark days that we're living in America? Answer, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. God moves in the dark days. Kind of excited. It's in the dark days that his people, well, he wakes his people up. And oh, that God would begin to turn our hearts, to turn to him rather than turning to our clever plans and ideas. That's what the Israelites will do. They're gonna turn to their clever plans and ideas. Give us a king. Church, we will never legislate our way out of the darkness that is America. I believe in legislation. I think we should participate in it. We will never legislate hearts that change. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. It's legislation needed. It's needed, needed, needed. All right, built the bridges. But it never has, it never will change a heart. Maybe the darkness will be what snaps us out of our slumber. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Slaps us out of our slumber. Maybe we will complain about the world less, be bitter towards the world less, and pray more. Maybe rather than a disgusted look at the world, we would lean in and love the world enough to build a relationship, to be a light, to have a conversation, to share the gospel. I've shared with you before that occasionally we've been congratulated as a church for being a praying church. I don't know how to take those comments. They're hard for me, honestly. I'm grateful. I wanna say thank you, and I do genuinely thank the person, and I do genuinely, genuinely thank you. We prayed this morning together. But what does that comment say to us? It's concerning to me that we're the, the church that's so praying that we get congratulated for being such a praying church. I don't think we're there. And it, it's a commentary. Where, where's the church? Hmm. Please 
do not respond to these next comments out of any sort of guilt or manipulation. I'm, I'm wrestling. Do I even say these things this morning? I'm wrestling. Dude, I don't want to ever. I don't want to, I don't want to motivate by guilt or manipulation. So please don't respond out of guilt manipulation. Please do respond where appropriate if the Spirit is moving on, on our hearts out of repentance and conviction. It's appropriate. Many of us will not come to a single prayer meeting in an entire year. Many of us will not come to well, we have 24 hours of prayer. It's coming up next month. We'll be announcing it soon. Won't spend an hour in prayer. How do I take the comment? Man, you guys are a praying church. I don't know that we are. Why don't we run to God in prayer in the barrenness of our day? Maybe we don't think it's as barren as it think it is. Maybe we don't think God is big. Hannah's response shows us a lot of how she thinks about God. It speaks volumes. Maybe, maybe we're not thinking that prayer makes any sort of difference, or maybe we don't think our country is in darkness, or maybe we think the solution to our country's darkness is to simply just argue with people more who disagree with us. Maybe that's what we think. All I know is what the text tells us. There was a woman who was barren and she couldn't change a thing. And so she turns to the Lord in prayer. It tells us twice. It's like almost back to back on top of each other. The Lord has closed her womb. And so what does she do? She turns to the Lord. And I love that. Nothing she can do, nothing she can do can fix the fact that the Lord has closed her womb except appeal to the one who can fix that. And the answer for her, right? It's not, it's not read another book or, you know, it's not, it's not get, a, get a healthier lifestyle, Hannah. That's what you need. You need a healthier lifestyle. That'll fix things. No, the Lord has made her barren and only the Lord can reverse that. What is going to bring the church today out of its barrenness? Are we looking for a program? Are we looking, looking for a marketing scheme? Are we looking for an atmosphere? I'm not saying we don't do any of those things. I think there are some good things for us to do. But none of that is the hope for the barrenness. If your, bar if your answer to the barrenness starts with, we should do fill in the blank. then you don't understand the darkness of our days. We cannot make the lights turn on in our day. Lights turning on is a sovereign move of a good and gracious God. Revival is not something that we create. We can't just, all right, announce tonight, revival tonight. You don't announce revival. You don't. You don't manipulate God. You don't make revival happen. You, you behold revival. You, 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 like Hannah, announce, ha, 
I'm having a child. What did she do? And so you turn to the sovereign God and you pray. And I want to say to us, church, we need a sovereign move of God in our day. And amazingly, though God does the work, he never does the work around us. He never does an end around us. He always does his work through us. He involves us. And how, how does he involve us? Through prayer. She can't be her own savior. You can't be your own savior. Trinity can't be your, be your savior. That's the whole point. The savior is the savior. He truly wants us to look to him, to call on him, to trust in him, to turn away from a man-centered, man-created savior solution and look to the savior to be the savior. He's the only hope for our hopelessness. The very reason that they're in the barren mess that they are in is because they've been looking to themselves for hope. That is the definition of hopelessness. Look to you for your hope. You be your own savior. That, my friends, is utterly hopeless. It's like Hannah producing a child. Let me just change, make some lifestyle changes here. Let me take more vitamins. Let me do whatever. Like, yeah. They actually have a man-made solution for the hopelessness of their day too. Give us a king so we can be like those nations because those nations, wow, it looks like it's working out well for them. They just defeated us. Hello, Israel, repent. The reason they defeated you isn't because they have a king and you need a king so you can be like them. The reason that they've defeated you is you've given up on the greater king. And so let's come up with these man-made solutions to fix the mess that we're in. Maybe if we have a king, we'll look like those nations. And now we've got a hope. Be your own savior is the cry then and now. That's why what she does in the hopelessness is so beautiful that she utterly, completely just turns to the Lord in prayer. She looks to the one, the only one who can bring hope to the hopeless. She turns to the sovereign one, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, covenant-keeping God. She turns and she pleads for a child. Which brings us to number four, barren and hopeless spiritual leadership. Verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be drunken, a drunken woman. What? Like We're so familiar with that, but can we just pause and say, what? A drunken woman? And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. vexation. Eli thinks she's drunk. There's a woman at the doorpost of the temple and think, think, think on this. The priest assumes in, in her distress, she must be drunk. 
How can he not know that she's crying out to the Lord in her distress? How, how barren is this day that we're talking about? Has he never seen a woman or a man for that matter, anybody crying out at the doorstep of the temple, crying out to God? Apparently not. It's a barren day. Why would he assume drunkenness? Maybe he's seen more of that than he has of distressed crying out to the Lord in prayer. We don't know. I wonder, has he himself ever cried out to the Lord in distress at the doorsteps of the temple? Maybe this is all further indication of the hopelessness of the spiritual leadership leadership of the day. I don't want to stretch the text, but something's missing here in Eli's response. What's wrong with this woman? Hmm, she must be drunk. 17, verse 17. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. And I love that. I love, well, go in peace. God, God may, may God give you what you've asked for. And she gets up and she eats. And what I like about that is nothing has changed for her. The woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. Nothing's changed. There's no reason to eat. There's no reason not to be sad. Her darkness hasn't changed one little bit. Brings us to point five, hope for the hopeless. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The Lord hears her cry. The sovereign Lord, the all-powerful, good God, hears the cry of insignificant Hannah. The Lord remembered her, it says. Which is to say, the Lord is remembering his people. Not just Hannah. Which is to say, God is a covenant keeper. His, his covenant remains. Which is to say, while circumstances have not changed for the people of Israel, right? It's not like there's repentance and so I'm going to give you a son, Samuel, who's going to be a judge. No, no, none of that. There's no repentance. Repentance has not been uttered. But God was not just remembering Hannah. He was remembering his covenant promise to his covenant people, which is to say hope comes to the hopeless. So pray. Right? What's the point of the text? Pray so you get what you want, right? That's the point. No. Sometimes the answer to our cry is no. God is doing more in this text than telling us pray so you get what you want. God is doing more than giving Hannah a son. God is breathing new life into a barren nation. God is awakening his people through a remnant people. God is showing himself to be the faithful God to unfaithful Israel in the middle of their unfaithfulness. What does Israel need to do to earn God's faithfulness at this point? Answer, nothing. That's why it's called mercy and grace. 
Verse 21, then the, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. So they're going back to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So here we are back at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. This is amazing. And she said, oh, my Lord, as I live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, as he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. It's amazing to me. Hannah said, give me a child, and I will give him to you. And she kept that vow. This was no token dedication. Okay, this is, all right, like at Trinity, we dedicate children to the Lord, right? We'll have parents standing across here holding with their children and we're dedicating to them, to them to the Lord. Uh, sometimes we even point to Hannah as we do so um, to say before the church, God, you've given us his children. We wanna raise them for you. But you need to understand that's not what's going on here for Hannah. She is going to give him to the Lord. Like, not going to raise him. Like, Eli is going to be entrusted. The barren priest guy who thinks I'm drunk, praying at the doorstep. If you give me a child, I will literally give him back to you. And there's no change of mind. There's no... I don't think the Lord really expects me to go that far, right? Like this is not, if you've ever prayed, God, get me out of this mess. If you get me out of this mess, I will give you my life. And then he gets you out of this mess and you're like, I don't think the Lord really expects me to give him my life. Let's just kind of tone it down. I was a little exaggerated and a little hyped up there. Not Hannah. Not Hannah. Which leads to a hope-filled worship. Chapter two. As I read these verses, I want you to be asking yourself, where have I heard this before? Because you've heard it before. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. The other time you heard it, my soul magnifies in God my Savior. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Wow, this, this woman, she's been to the women's Bible study. She knows who God is. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have, ha have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to, to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she has many children, is forlorn. 
The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut, cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Amen. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, back home. And the boy, what? He's gonna stay with Eli. The boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Maybe that reminded you of another song from another woman who also had a miraculous birth which threw her also into a song of worship. It's a song of hope to the hopeless. We know it as Mary's Magnificat. But here's the thing about the two songs, one by Hannah, one by Mary. They're very similar. One, right, by barren Hannah, the other by the virgin Mary. Wow, has things ratcheted up just a little bit. Both songs are themed too big, too big for Hannah, too big for Mary. Bigger than what these ladies could have comprehended or grasped or fully understood. Ryan Kelly unpacks the themes of Hannah's song like this. Number one, it's a theme of reversal where the low, low is, sorry, the low is exalted and the lofty are brought low. They're humbled. That's the story of the books of Samuel, which by the way, I said it last week, that's really one book, all right? So, but that's the story. But it's also the story, what? Of Jesus Christ. Second theme is the final defeat of the enemy. Where does this come from, Hannah? I mean, look, I get your excitement. You're gonna have a child. I get how thrilling this is especially from your barren state, but now you're having a baby. Don't you think this song is a little bit of overreach? Final defeat of the enemy. Well, it gets better. The third theme, kingship, all right? Okay, now, Hannah, you've gone too far. There is no king in Israel at this time. Hey, everyone, I'm having a baby, Wow, what? Congratulations. Yep, and our enemy is defeated, and there's a king in Israel. A little bit of overreach, it would seem. There's another song in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, towards the very end. It's the song by David. David sings at the end of the book, So these are our bookends, Hannah's song, David's song. Both songs carry those three themes. The bookend songs of the book are singing the same things as to say all that is in the middle between the bookend songs is working out those three themes. A king is coming, enemies are defeated, There will be a reversal where the lowly are exalted and the exalted will be made low. Back to verse one, chapter one. There was a certain man 
of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. The family are Ephrathites from Ephrathah. All right, ever heard of Ephrathah? Maybe, maybe not. You probably know it by another name. Ephrathah is better known by its other name, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, a king, King David will come from Bethlehem, but that king is always pointing to the king of kings. Jesus will come from Bethlehem. David is simply a shadow of the king who will come. So Micah, the prophet, 300 years after Samuel, Hannah, this whole episode, 300 years later, all right? So Hannah's back there. You got Micah 300 years later, 700 years before Christ. Micah 2.5 says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Christmas was just a couple weeks ago. I don't think it was too far back that we can't go back to Luke chapter two where an angel suddenly appears to these lowly, lowly shepherds, right? And says things like, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Remember, when Christ came, he came in the days of utter barrenness, Hope to the hopeless. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Never is the Bible more understated than when it says right here, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you lowly shepherds, you you nobodies, you might want to head on down there where the king of kings will be born. These were the dark days for the people of God where Mary, chapter one of Luke, sings a song and that song sounds a whole lot like Hannah's song. She sings of some of the same themes of Hannah. And while that's amazing, it shouldn't surprise us because Hannah's song was really the theme of the life of Jesus. There's going to be a reversal. There's going to be an ultimate defeat of the enemy. And there's going to be a king. He's the king of kings. There's two crowds here this morning. There are those who are here this morning who are hopeless without Christ. These are dark days for you. You would say, I am hopeless. And you're trying to fix the mess but you are as helpless to produce something good as Hannah was to produce a child. Maybe you could even say you're barren, not without children, but spiritually barren. You're a barren soul. God gives life to the barren. I believe God would have you here to hear that message of hope. Secondly, you're here and you're hopeless with Christ. While that's never truly the case, you are never hopeless in Christ. 
There are times when as Christians we feel hopeless. And I'm here to remind you, Christian, you serve a covenant-keeping God. That in the bareness of your life, God is at work. What does this mean as we live in the dark days that we live in? Well, it means Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sorrow? Should a government? Should a political party? Should a, should a COVID? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers separate us from the love of Christ. God's plan will not be thwarted. He will have a people. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of that people. There is hope in the hopelessness. The God of Hannah, the God of Israel, the God of Mary is the God of you. Their song is your song. That's our God. Let's stand and let's sing to our God.